This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Appreciate you tuning in today. We finished our series on the people of God a week ago or so, and now we are moving on from there. And I don't have a new series lined up, but I do have some other studies that I've been thinking about and would like to share with you. I've been thinking a lot about Pharaoh in Exodus 4 through 10 and all the exchanges that he and Moses have and how much there is uh, to to learn from that. And that's what I want to discuss with you this morning. And I want to read to you Exodus seven twenty two and 23. It says this, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, Pharaoh turned around, went into his palace, and he did not take any of this to heart. And so this comes on the heels of uh, the one of the ten plagues. I don't remember which one specifically in, in Exodus chapter 7. Uh, but a number of plagues have already come upon Egypt by the hand of God in order to compel Pharaoh to listen and obey and let the Hebrews go so that they can go and worship him in, in the wilderness. You know, he is being stubborn and, and God is acknowledging this and scripture is acknowledging this. And it uses this phrase that Pharaoh's heart was hardened or Pharaoh hardened his own heart or the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And there's a lot of folks who would take Pharaoh to be kind of a proof positive that God is responsible for an individual's disobedience. So, you know, they, they seize upon one of those particular phrases uh, specifically that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and they take that to mean that God was in effect causing Pharaoh to disobey. And I think when we just look at the context of these chapters, instead of just that phrase in particular and trying to assign meaning to it, if we just let the text explain what it means by the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart or Pharaoh's heart was hardened or Pharaoh hardened his own heart, which by the way, those other phrases I think aren't any different than the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's just three different ways of saying the same thing. Um, if we just let the text explain itself, I think it's impossible to come to that conclusion that God is somehow forcing Pharaoh's disobedience to make a point. Uh, if you go to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 19, when God first appears to Moses in the wilderness, remember Moses runs away uh, pretty early on. He's found as a baby. He's raised in Pharaoh's household. And then when he becomes a man, he goes to his own people. He ends up killing an Egyptian and then runs away when he understands, you know, this is common knowledge and people have found, found out about it. And so he's in the, he's in the desert for 40 years and he gets married and he has a family and then God appears to him in the burning bush in Exodus three and verse 19. Um, in their discussion, God says, I know that Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. He says, I know that he's not going to let the people go unless I compel him. And God mentioned specifically these signs. And it's interesting to me that the first signs that God gives Moses, because Moses is hesitant and he's making a number of excuses and he's wanting assurance and affirmation and God gives it to him and he shows him these great signs and tells him what he's, what he's going to do. And one of them is, you know, famously the, you know, the staff being thrown down and turning into a snake. And also Moses puts his hand into his, uh, his robe. And when he pulls it out, it has leprosy on it and then he puts it back in 
pulls it out and, and it's perfectly restored. And so Moses goes to Egypt and he performs these signs both to the Israelites and and Israel believes and they're excited and they're looking, you know, they're ready for their deliverance. And then, you know, he goes to Pharaoh, does the same thing and Pharaoh ignores it. Right. And so the first of, you know, the signs intended to confirm the message to Pharaoh that what Moses is saying is not Moses's idea. It's, it's coming directly from God. They're, the first signs are benign, right? They're not plagues at all. They're just meant to prove um, very simply that God is God and he's in control. And this message that Moses has is to be believed and obeyed. But as God says in verse 19 of chapter 3, I know he's not going to listen. And so along comes the plagues. And uh, we've been talking a lot about this at at Leon Valley. And I just want to share a few more thoughts with you this um, this morning today about uh, this uh, this topic because I think it's 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 been overly complicated um, this hardening of Pharaoh's heart and I just want to explore scriptures with you and see if we can come to an understanding a common understanding of who is responsible here for our actions because there's people in the world and even in the religious world who would say we don't really have any control and there's no free will and nobody has a choice in the matter. And they would very quickly, in many cases, point to Pharaoh and see and say, see God, it was God who hardened his heart and didn't have any choice. And, you know, all we can do is just hope to be on the right side. And that just doesn't add up to me. And I don't think it fits the immediate context. And I don't think it fits any other scriptures that speak of the heart. So uh, that's really what I want to talk about. Uh, that that men, people can and do take what God says to heart, but most of them do not. And Pharaoh is just one example of many in Scripture. I don't know how many people, but many in, examples in Scripture that do not take what God says to heart. And so they harden themselves against it and resist, despite the overwhelming and sometimes even painful evidence that God is who he says he is and he's in control. And the only reasonable response is to just surrender and listen. Uh, but still most do not. And this is certainly stated in scripture. But why must this be the case? Why is that the case? That most people do not heed what God says to, says to, say, says to them or, you know, to use the phrasing of Exodus 7.23, don't take it to heart. Well, the scripture reveals that your life is governed by one of two fundamental philosophies, to live as you please or to live as God pleases. And that's it. Your life is either governed by self-will or by divine will. And you see instances of this uh, many times in scriptures, it's not stated directly in that way that I did, but usually it comes in the form, or a lot of times I should say it comes in the form of a command or an admonition, like in First Peter 4, in, in verse 2, uh, Peter says, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then verse 2, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. 
And so Peter is stating that that principle by way of admonition. He's saying, don't, you know, don't live the rest of your time here for your own desires and for your own lusts and pleasure, but live for the will of God. Live, live as he pleases. Uh, Galatians chapter one is another example where Paul is writing to those churches and he is saying that he's talking about their desertion of the true gospel and he's, he's using himself as an illustration um, and, and his own motives. He says, am I now trying to please men or, or please God? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so he shows again that, that, that kind of those dueling principles or philosophies. I can, I can live to please myself. I can live to please other people or I can live to please God. And this isn't to say that we are always exclusively influenced by one of these choices to the total neglect of the other. People who are lost in sin are going to do some good things a lot of times. Uh, you know, they're not morally reprobate. There's lots of good dads and good moms in the world and good bosses and employees and and uh, and, and good social workers and people who do acts of, of love and do acts of service, but who have not been forgiven through the blood of Christ. Right? Because no, no matter how good of a dad I am, or husband I am, or you know morally upright, and, and, and how much integrity I have in a good worker, and so on and so forth, <clears throat> or a hero on the battlefield, or what, whatever the case may be, none of those things take away my sin. Right? Only Christ can do that. And so people lost in sin can be morally good and do good things. And on the flip side, righteous people, those who are justified and forgiven, they're still going to sin. Right? So we're not always exclusively, we're not exclusively influenced by one philosophy, the total neglect of the other. You know, living as self pleases or living as God pleases. But the, the point that scripture is making to us is that is what a man desires to do. What, and what he desires to be, that determines whether he will be self-ruled ultimately or ruled by God. Whichever one he chooses will affect all of his priorities and all of his principles in life. And most importantly, it's going to affect his relationship with God. Take as a case in point Ezra, the book of Ezra. Ezra 7, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says there that the gracious hand of Ezra's God was upon him because Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Right? So Ezra determined to do this in his heart and it affected his relationship with God. God was with him and it also affected his priorities and what he wanted to do in his life. Study the law of God, obey it, teach it to others, share it with others, all of Israel. Now take another case in point that I mentioned at the beginning, and that's Pharaoh. He refused. He refused to humble himself before God, despite repeated calls for self-examination. In Exodus 10.3, God says to him, How long? How long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? He took nothing to heart of what God said or did, including ten horrible plagues. He said and said he chose to do as he pleased in disregard for what pleased God. And again, he's just one biblical example of many who made the same choice. 
Ezra determined otherwise. Pharaoh could have as well, but he didn't, and God knew that he wouldn't. And God used that choice that Pharaoh made ultimately to bring glory to himself and release his people. And again, many many folks have come to, I think, the erroneous conclusion that Pharaoh had no choice in the matter because, again, of that phrase, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. But did, my question is, is did God force Pharaoh's heart to reject him? And I think that the immediate text doesn't support this conclusion, nor does the rest of the scripture. I mean, you just think about that verse that we just read in chapter 10 and verse 3, where God is asking Pharaoh, how long are you going to refuse me? How long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? Right? And and and, and in chapter 7 and verse 14, God gives the analysis of Pharaoh's heart. He says, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding, and he refuses to let the people go. Right, and so the immediate context doesn't support this idea that folks have that Pharaoh didn't have a, a choice. Because if he didn't have a choice, then those passages that we just read don't make any sense, right? How? Why would God hold Pharaoh responsible for something God was responsible for? Right? That doesn't make any sense. In other words, He wouldn't be asking, "How long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before Me?" If God is forcing Him to make that choice. So here's what I believe the scripture is actually saying and teaching us is that God hardened Pharaoh's heart by commanding something that Pharaoh just didn't want to do. And that was to let the Hebrew slaves go, millions of them. Right? And Pharaoh was going to lose all that labor. He was going to be humiliated. Uh, he would have to admit to himself that he was not the ultimate sovereign in the universe, that he was not um, he was not God in the flesh. And so his heart was unyielding. He couldn't admit that to himself. He didn't want to go to that place of surrender. But all men will have to if they want to be acceptable to God in this life. And all men will, even if they choose not to in this life, all men will in the next whether they want to or not. Jesus teaches us that truth is hidden from everyone who will close their eyes to truth. And so scripture talks about a willful blindness that comes from the condition of, of man's heart. And so in Matthew chapter 13 is, is one place where you could find this. And Jesus is actually quoting the prophet Isaiah here when he says these words. So this is Matthew 13. Um, around verse 11 through 15. So, you know, Jesus is telling parables, and then many times, like in verse 10, the disciples come to him and say, you know, why do you speak in parables? Or they ask if um, they could, if Jesus will explain the parable that he's told uh, previously on, on a previous occasion. And Jesus does uh, in a lot of cases. And and here they're asking, why why do you teach in this way? You give these long allegories, you know, which is what a parable is, these stories that Jesus told. And this is Jesus' answer. He says in verse 11, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
Now he's going to explain why. He says, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but not understand. You will keep on seeing, but not perceive. Notice, for the heart of this people has become dull. And so with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. And so Jesus is saying here that in verse 15, the, the real core issue is their heart. Their heart has become dull, he says. Uh, in other words, this is a question of, of the will. It's it, Their heart has become calloused, and so it's, it's plugged up their ears, and it's, it's caused this willful blindness. And then notice he says the in, in the middle of verse 15, he says, they have closed their eyes. In other words, this is their fault. And if they would change their heart, then they would change. And thus, they, you know, the, the last, very last part of verse 15, they would see and they would hear and they would understand and return to me and I would heal them. But so long as they chose this willful blindness, so long as they closed their eyes because of the heart, the condition of their own heart, the truth would be hidden from them, even in these parables. Right? They were, you know, even the even Jesus' disciples who were following him didn't understand, not immediately, the things that he would teach in, in these parables. But they would, the, the distinction between them and everybody else was that they would ask. What does this mean? They would go to him. They, in other words, they had a heart that was seeking truth. And even if they didn't understand at first, they wanted to know and they weren't going to give up the pursuit. Whereas others who weren't interested and didn't, and didn't want to hear it and close themselves off, they just went the other way. But that was the dividing line there, was the condition of those individuals' hearts. On one hand, you have folks who want the truth and love the truth and would be satisfied with nothing less. And so they probe and they dig and they ask Jesus and Jesus explains to them. And on the other hand, you have folks just really not that interested. They don't want to investigate. They have no love for truth. And this is the same thing that Paul says in in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. As he's describing people who will be deceived and who will ultimately perish. He says it's because they don't have love for truth. In Second Thessalonians two ten and eleven, and so in Pharaoh's case, his it was his willful blindness to truth, and this becomes, you know, more and more obvious that it's just it's just ridiculous. It becomes so blatantly obvious by by the end of the, the plague cycle, in chapter ten and verse seven that his that his own people are coming to him, his servants are coming to Pharaoh, and they're saying, "Let these people go. Let them sacrifice to the Lord their God." And then they, and then they ask this question: Look, in verse seven, he says, "Do you not yet see that Egypt is ruined? Do you not yet realize that Egypt is undone?" And so the evidence was all around him that you that Pharaoh, you were not in control, and that. This Yahweh, this this God, he, he is sovereign. He has all authority and he is to be listened to. Look around you. Our country is ruined. And so the evidence is right in front of them. And some of his servants could get this. In other words, God gave Pharaoh a sufficient proof of his power. And God confirmed 
the source of Moses' message that it was it was from him, it was from heaven. And so the responsibility for rejection was Pharaoh's. It was all Pharaoh's fault. It wasn't God's. And so this is how God hardens the hearts of people. The commands of God harden the hearts of anybody who takes pleasure in unrighteousness because the commands of God are a hindrance to taking pleasure in unrighteousness. And if you read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 12, you're going to see that again. Same principle. And so God, he sets the terms for how people can be acceptable to him. And his terms will harden the heart of anyone who loves their self more than God and truth. So no, Pharaoh, Pharaoh is not proof positive that God is responsible for anybody's disobedience. You know, there's another king in Second Chronicles 12, 14, this, and he was a Hebrew king. He was the son of Solomon. And look what scripture says about him. He also made the wrong choice. It says in Second Chronicles 12, 14, that Rehoboam did evil, listen to it, because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. So again, why did he do evil? Well, just let the text answer. Just let the text answer it. Is the reason Rehoboam did evil, is it fundamentally different from the reason Pharaoh did evil? And is the reason Rehoboam did evil fundamentally different from the reason that anybody does evil? No, like like Pharaoh, Rehoboam was responsible. He hardened himself against God. He didn't set his heart on seeking the Lord. And so whether we're talking about kings, you know, in the Bible or, or modern men and rulers or anybody else in the world, everyone is accountable to God and each is responsible for setting his or her heart to seek the Lord. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is, is preaching to the Athenians. He says this is the very reason man was created. To seek God. To have a relationship with, with him. And when the Hebrews did not, this is what God says in Jeremiah sixteen twelve, He says, you have done more evil than your father's. And then he says, see how each of you was following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. So there's the choice again. But notice where the responsibility lies. He says, each of you was following the stubbornness of your own evil heart. And God knows the heart of every man, past, present, and future. And we shouldn't forget that there was once a time when God saw that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. In Genesis 6-5, and he destroyed an entire world because of it. But it doesn't have to be this way. Most will follow the path of, of Pharaoh, which is the path of rebellion. And so God warns us, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. If you understand and accept that, and you understand and accept what God is telling you, then you will, like Ezra, determine in your heart to study, obey, and teach God's will. Why? Just for an academic exercise? No. It, the, the point is, is 
to draw near to God, to understand Him, to have fellowship with Him. And it's His Word, of course, that reveals the way to that is, is through His Son. Obedience to His Son. And the Scripture also reveals that we can even pray for our own hearts. You know, we, you know, if if these passages bother you, that's that's a good thing. And and I say that because if it if it didn't bother you, then you would be in the path of Pharaoh. But if it if it does, that's a good thing because you you recognize that you are you are in control of your own heart and you have a, a decision to make a determination to make within within your heart and you can change that and you can even pray about it and should pray about it this is what david did so david you know is described as a man after god's own heart now he sinned many times but uh, you know go, going back to one of our earlier points it's it's what he desired to be and what he desired to do ultimately yes he came up short but he he still wanted he still wanted to know God's will and to do God's will right? because he knew that was the way to have a relationship with him. And so he prays in Psalm 119, 36, Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. David did some very selfish things. We all do. But this is what he wanted. He's, he's praying, turn my heart toward you and your statutes. And he prays the same prayer for other people. In Second Chronicles 29, he says, I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. He's talking about all the gifts that they were bringing and provisions to build the temple um, that Solomon would, would later build. They're gathering supplies and he's saying the people, they're doing this joyfully and they're, and they're willingly giving these things to you. And then he says this, keep this desire forever in the intentions of their hearts. Keep this desire forever in the intention of their heart and direct their hearts toward you. And then he goes on to pray for his very own son. He says, give my son Solomon a whole heart to keep and carry out all your commandments, decrees, and statutes. So he knew that he could get help at the very control center of his life, right? Guard your heart, for from it determines the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. And so David is asking for help for this, for himself, and for his people, and for his children. And this is a prayer according to God's will. He wants us to have that tender heart. But the decision is yours to make for your heart, your life, your relationship with God, and your eternal destiny, just as it is for me. And Scripture teaches us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to be lost, but He wants men to repent and be saved. But that means that man must repent. When Paul is talking to the Christians in Galatia, excuse me, um, Ephesus, in Ephesians 2, verse 3, he's, he's talking to them about uh, their, their previous way of life. And he says, he, he says that, in himself included, he says, We also all lived in the lust of the flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and, and of the mind. And then he goes on to talk about how their way of life was, was changed and how they were saved by grace through faith. And how they were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And, and their, their way of life changed. But their life changed because they changed as people. And they changed as people because they changed their hearts. It was no longer their desire to live. 
for the lusts of men, but to the will of God, as Peter says. That's what we must do. And one one might say, based on what we've read so far, that they determined in their hearts to do this. So men and women can change their wills. And they do so as they change their hearts and minds in true repentance. Repentance is an effect of faith. It's the outgrowth of faith. And faith comes from hearing the word of God, right? Pharaoh heard the word of word of God, but he shut himself out to it. He closed himself off to it. And so it, it produced no belief in him, despite, again, the overwhelming evidence and proof that God was putting before him. And so he would not repent. There were some times when he superficially did, and you can read that in those exchanges that he has with Moses. But Moses says, you're just dealing deceitfully with us because he would promise to let the people go, then he would go back on his word. He would harden his heart, and then another plague would come. Let me read for you one more example in Second Kings 22 and verse 19. So this is another king, Hebrew king named Josiah. And in Josiah's time, the book of the law of God had been lost for many years. I don't know how long, but... It was missing. It had been buried, and, and a priest finds it somehow in the temple, and he brings it to the king, and he reads it. And Josiah hears the word of God, and he tears his clothes. He has this, you know, deep emotional reaction, and he's weeping, and he and he he rips his clothes, which was a sign of contrition and grief. And then later, God comes and speaks to him through a prophet and he says this because he says because your heart was responsive because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke and because you tore your robes and you wept in my presence I have also heard you declares the Lord your Bible might say because your heart was soft or because your heart was tender this translation says because your heart was responsive and notice the outcome. Notice notice the, the effect here. He did humble himself before God when he heard the word of God. He does just the opposite of what Pharaoh does. And God recognizes this in Josiah. He recognizes that Josiah didn't harden himself against the word of God. And so scripture is filled with this, you know, many examples of people who harden themselves against God and people whose hearts are responsive. Not because God is responsible for their choices, but because they are, because they determine what kind of heart they're going to have. Pharaoh heard, as many have, and he saw things that none of us will ever see in the flesh. But he, like most people, refused to listen. And as Exodus 7.23 says, he refused to take it to heart. He refused to acknowledge the truth about himself, about God, and where he stood with the Lord. But again, we don't have to entrench ourselves stubbornly the way that he did. We can... We can change. We can make the right decision. But it's up to us to to make that decision. I can't do it for you any more than you can do it for me. 
the only thing that will enforce God's truth in your life, the only thing that will apply His truth in your life, is the honesty of your own heart. And that's what it comes down to. Either we have the courage and the humility to be honest with ourselves about what the Bible says, who we are and who God is and what we need to do to be right with Him, or we don't. We're too proud. We're too dishonest. And so we shut ourselves out. We close our hearts off to the truth. And God is begging us not to make that decision. Imploring us. Again, he doesn't want anyone to be lost, but he wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 5. And he desires that so much that he was willing to send his own son to die, to shed his blood so that our sins could be taken away, so that so that he would suffer, so that we wouldn't have to suffer for eternity. And he gives very specific answers to questions about how we can be saved. Peter was on the receiving end of some of those questions in Acts 2. In verse 37, the people said, what are we going to do? They heard they heard about Jesus' kingship and his sacrifice and what that meant. And they knew they were guilty of, of sin and they wanted to know how to be rid of it. And Peter says to them in verse 38, Repent, each and every one of you, and be baptized for the remission of your sins or for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you'll be saved. Maybe that's what you need to do. And maybe we can help you in that regard. Or maybe you want to study more about these things. What God's terms are for salvation. What God's terms are to be acceptable to Him. I'd love to hear from you if that's the case. You can reach me at Church at gmail.com or visit our website and submit a contact form there. Look forward to hearing from you. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.